0: Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you are in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. And we're gonna be looking at Acts chapter 18, beginning with verse 23 which is uh, the next verse that, as we're going through the book of Acts, and going through chapter 19, verse 7, and that, that's the uh, uh, one story that's put together, okay? Um, and it, it deals with Apollos, who is one of the new apostles. He just shows up here in Acts chapter 18, and we read more about him in the New Testament, And it continues on to the believers in Ephesus that Paul found, who, because they had been with Apollos, they didn't know anything about the coming of the Holy Spirit and how uh, they were baptized in the name of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they all began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 of these men. But we're not going to go through that whole story today. I'm going to break it up and... uh, the, the title of the message, and it's going to continue, I think, for a few weeks, because then that same theme leads on through chapter 19, uh, is very simply power evangelism. Power evangelism. We're going to be talking about and looking at, and and I'm praying for the, the, for the Lord just to pour out his spirit upon us and for us to seek and, and to desire the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our lives, because we're going to see this. Big difference between the ministry of Apollos before the coming of the Holy Spirit in his life and his ministry after the Holy Spirit is poured out on his life. The difference between intellectual evangelism and power evangelism, Holy Spirit evangelism and the difference that that makes in in a church. And it's going to continue on as we look at the church in Ephesus in chapter 19. The church at Ephesus uh, according to scholars and historians, uh, as far as we know, was the largest church of any of these churches we read about in the New Testament. Had a very famous history later on, and the Apostle John was in Ephesus. And by some traditions, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was with him there in Ephesus, and then she died there. And by other traditions, I won't even get into that. She didn't actually die; but she was ascended into heaven, kind of a rapture thing. That's not in the Bible, <laughs> but I know that people come from different backgrounds and you've heard different things. The point is that Ephesus was a very famous church in the Old Testament, uh, in the New Testament, and in the first century, the work in Ephesus began when Priscilla and Aquila went there together with Paul. That's not really the beginning. The seeds had already been planted, but the church began to be built up. But if you'll remember, I'm just giving you some background stuff we've already talked about, but if you'll remember, Paul went to Ephesus, but he didn't stay in Ephesus. He hurried back to get back to Antioch and to go to Jerusalem and to be back in Antioch of Syria, which if you look on a map, uh, basically Antioch is in modern-day Syria, Ephesus is far away on the other corner of modern-day Turkey. It's far enough to be far away today. It was even that much more far away in those days when you didn't travel by airplane, right? And so he left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus, and they began to build up the church. And I say her name first on purpose because in the biblical accounts, when anywhere where they're talking about teaching and ministry, Priscilla's name is always listed first. And for a lot of different reasons, we have an understanding that Priscilla and Aquila were a husband and wife ministry team, but Priscilla was actually the teacher or the one who took the lead in the ministry of the word of God. That doesn't mean Aquila was some kind of dummy that couldn't teach the word of God. It's just how God gives different gifts and different anointings to different people and uses people in different ways. But it's a beautiful picture of a husband and wife in ministry together without being jealous of each other's gifts, without fighting over who does what, but just ministering by the Holy Spirit. And everywhere we see them, they are people uh, that are just quietly there in the background but doing something really important. And we're gonna see that in this story that we look at today. So, power evangelism. We're gonna begin with Acts chapter 18 and verse 23. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I just pray that you'd minister to us by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would minister to us your Holy Spirit, that you would pour out your Spirit on all flesh, Lord. I pray that you would give us the power from on high. You said to your disciples to wait in Jerusalem, to not run ahead of you, but to wait in Jerusalem, and to wait because the day would come when they would receive power after the Holy Spirit Comes upon them, and they would be your witnesses in every place that they go. And I pray for that for our church today. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 18 and verse 23. It says, And having spent some time there, Paul, he left and he passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So, what does that mean? This means that Paul is starting his third miss- missionary journey. We've looked at his first missionary journey. Then we looked at his second missionary journey. This is his third missionary journey, and it's his final missionary journey according to the book of Acts. There's some speculation that he also traveled to Spain and some other things that aren't specifically mentioned in the book of Acts. But according to the book of Acts, this is his final missionary journey because this is the journey that leads him through this journey. Uh, There's a lot of focus is going to be on Ephesus, back to Jerusalem, where he's arrested and he's sent to Rome, and that's the end of the book of Acts. So this is the beginning of that journey. He's in Antioch of Syria, so think of Damascus, and a little bit north of there, uh, in the country of Syria, he's in Antioch. And he travels from there into the lands of modern-day Turkey, but he's in the eastern part of those lands, in the Galatian region, in Phrygia. One thing I want to point out to you, I'm just dropping these little things because they're important for us to understand for our own lives, that if you remember when he was on the second missionary journey, the Holy Spirit would not allow him to minister in these places. Do you remember that? He kept going all around Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, and the Holy Spirit was saying, no, 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 this isn't where you're supposed to be. And then God revealed to him that he was supposed to go over to Europe. He was supposed to go over to Macedonia, And he traveled from Macedonia south into Achaia, which is modern-day Greece. And the great church in Corinth was established by his ministry at that time. Those are the things that we just look on. It's interesting to note, though, that that did not mean to Paul that I'll never minister there again. You know, sometimes we just take what the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives and uh, we just want to stop where we're at. And say, well, that's what God told me to do instead of listening to the Holy Spirit today and following the leading of God today. He knows in his own heart that it's important to support those churches that he started. So he heads back there again. I think along the way he's praying and he's thinking, well, Lord, will you let me minister in these places this time or not? And the Lord says, yeah, you go ahead and minister in these places. So we see as we go through the book of Acts, and I really tried to emphasize this, that the way Christians lived in the first century is very different from the way we live today. They didn't look at the market. They didn't look at inflation. They didn't look at wars and rumors of wars. They didn't worry about all the things in the world. They looked at the Great Commission. (coughs) They looked at what Jesus told them to do. And they listened to the Holy Spirit. And they operated in the power of the Holy Spirit for evangelism to establish the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring people to Jesus. You know, bringing people to Jesus in the Great Commission is not about them saying the sinner's prayer. That may be the beginning of it. Just repeat this prayer after me, and then get baptized, and then that's it. But that's not the Great Commission, is it? The Great Commission is to bring them to Jesus, for them to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to do all the things that I have commanded you. It is discipleship, to bring people into a living relationship with Jesus. And what's the last thing that Jesus commanded His church to do? Do you know? It's wait for the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's His last words. And you will wait for this, and then you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, throughout all Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, one of the things that the church has gotten really good at doing over two centuries, over two millennia. Is evangelizing and doing church business without the Holy Spirit, and it's gotten so bad sometimes that it just feels like we just don't need the Holy Spirit around anymore. And we've got our talents, we've got our gifts, we've got our abilities, we've got money, we've got these things, and that's all well and good. God doesn't want to annul those things, but all those things are called flesh. You know, the talents you were born with—they're from God, but it's a part of your flesh. It's what you can do. You know, I not our son Frank takes piano lessons, and somehow he can read music, and he just hears things, and he knows things. I have no idea how that got in his genetics. But I can't do that; it's daunting to me. But uh, you know, God gives us talents, but that's flesh. Have you ever heard somebody uh, in the world singing, or you know, a, a musician, and you know that they have an anointing from God, but it's but that they got that talent from God, brother but that it's not anointed by the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's being used in a wrong way. I know a lot of uh, uh, people that have always enjoyed their songs. You hear it coming on the radio. And you just know that talent is from God, but they're not using that for God. Well, it can be the same thing in the church. The Bible says, Peter said on the day of Pentecost, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So God doesn't want to annul our flesh. He doesn't want to... Uh, uh, say your talents aren't necessary here. You just got to move in the spirit in some material uh, way that doesn't make any sense. No, he wants to anoint our talents. He wants to anoint them and use them uh, for for his glory so that it's not about us, but it's about Jesus. And we're going to see that here with Apollos. So then let's read verse uh, 24, 24 through 26. <clears throat> Now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. And he, where did he come? He came to Ephesus. Where did he come from? Well, we don't know where he was right before Ephesus because it doesn't tell us, but he is born and raised in Alexandria. Alexandria is in Egypt, okay? Alexandria is uh, on the north coast of Africa. And this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly. <coughs> sorry, he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. These verses tell us a lot about Apollos. They tell us a lot about ourselves. In these verses, we see the success that we can have with our intellect, with our talents, with the things that we're able to do in ourselves. But it's a limited success. It's a limited success of intellectual evangelism. When I say intellectual evangelism, I'm talking about arguing with people. I'm talking about apologetics. They're all, you know, sometimes you need to argue with sometime, somebody. The Bible talks about uh, pulling people out of the fire so they can be saved. Sometimes it's just you know, one of those times you've got to be really right on point there. But without the Holy Spirit, evangelism always has limited success. Without the Holy Spirit, anything that we do in the church has limited success. You know, one of the reasons why we have the potluck today and all those kinds of things and we keep doing things like that and this summer we're going to have a lot of activities like that is to build fellowship in the church and to build unity in the church. But I can promise you this, without the Holy Spirit, there will never be unity in the church. Without the Holy Spirit, there will never be unity in our families. There will never be fellowship. And we see this in the book of Acts. It's not even a question. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings us together. The Holy Spirit is the one who uh, pours out the glory of God into our lives and activates these things and causes them to work. So what do we see about Apollos here? First of all, we see that he was a Jew, and he was raised and he was educated in Alexandria. But that's not a very Jewish name, is it? It's actually the name of one of the false gods of the Greeks, right? And so he he was a Hellenistic Jew. And a Hellenistic Jew is a Jew who's not from Judea, not from the Jerusalem area. He dresses like everybody in the world dresses. You know, if it was today, he'd wear a Hawaiian shirt to church. And uh, he talks in the common language of everybody. His birth language would have been Greek, but he is a Jew. And Alexandria is where he is from. Alexandria in the ancient world was a center of higher learning. This is where this was the Ivy League of the ancient world. This is where you went to really get a college education. Not one of those cheap online things, but the real thing. If you studied in Alexandria, then you were a very highly educated person. And he had studied in Ale- Alexandria. He had been raised in Alexandria. He was on the level of the Apostle Paul when it comes to Scripture. You need to know that about him. According to, uh, as far as his intellect goes, Paul's education was in Jerusalem. And for a Jewish Jew, that was the height of education. But for a Hellenistic Jew or a Greek Jew, the height of education was Alexandria. So they're really on the same level as far as their knowledge of Scripture. But they're on different levels when it comes to the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. He was raised and educated in Alexandria. The Bible says here that he was eloquent. The word eloquent means that he had a higher education, okay? He had a university degree. In the ancient world and up to very modern times, oratory was a major part of any higher education, learning how to express yourself and speak in front of other people. It's not really that important anymore. It's still important, but it's not its not something that our educational system focuses on today. But up until the, the better part of the 20th century, well, even when I went to school, you couldn't get out of school with all these speech classes, having to put on plays, having to stand up and memorize poems and say them out in front of people and getting graded on that. I don't know how many of you remember that stuff. But when the Bible says that he was eloquent, it means... Uh, That he had a higher education. He was learned. He had a powerful intellect. And notice that it says he was mighty in the scriptures. You see those words? He had a command of the scriptures. He knew them inside and out. And when it says the scriptures, of course, that's not talking about the New Testament because it hadn't been written yet. It was just being written during the time of the book of Acts. But it's talking about the Old Testament, the same thing that Paul means when he says the scriptures, uh, there's not really a difference in their minds, by the way, between Old and New Testament. Another big thing uh, that, dip, that we differ from them in. In fact, I know Christians who think the God, I mean, I've heard this from Christians' mouth mouths. The God of the Old Testament must be a different God because he's bloodthirsty and vengeful and angry all the time. And the God of New Testament is a God of love and everything goes. And, and it's just utter nonsense. Number one, because the God of the Old Testament uh, is not just angry all the time. He's a God of great mercy and great love. And the God of the New Testament isn't just, uh, you know, tiptoe through the tulips all the time. I don't know where they, if you read the words of Jesus, that's not what's written there. That's not what he said at all. It's the same God, okay? And people are always saved the same way. People have always been saved by faith, by putting their trust in the Lord. And so he had this command of the scriptures. But somewhere along the the way, we don't know if this happened in Alexandria or where it happened, but he became a Christian. He became a disciple of Jesus. It says he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. What does that mean to be instructed? It means to be discipled in the way of the Lord Jesus. He had been discipled in the way of the Lord Jesus, instructed in the way of the Lord. Instructed in the Christian life and he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. Do you see that? It says he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, but it says he was acquainted only with the baptism of John. So a lot of times uh, people read that and they think that that means that he only knew the baptism of John, and did not know that Jesus had died and been resurrected. Have you ever thought that when you've read this? Have you ever read this? But that's not what it means. Otherwise, it would not say he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. Not to mention the fact that anybody, especially an educated person alive at that time, uh, who was a follower of Jesus, and not to mention uh, all the other people in the world, uh, could have missed that in the news that Jesus had been crucified and raised from the dead, because it was the news of the day. Everybody was hearing about that, especially amongst the Jews. Everybody heard about that, okay? And so that's not what it means. When it says that he was acquainted only with the baptism of John, that becomes clear to us what that means when we get to chapter 19. That's why you have to put this together, but I'm not going to get to chapter 19 today. But we're going to get there next week. And when you put it together, you understand what that means. That the baptism of John is the baptism of repentance. You see in verse 4 of chapter 19, it says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. Is the baptism of repentance. Most of the Christian world today, most of the Christian world today, is baptized with the baptism of repentance, but not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you some good explanation of this next week, and I'm just not going to get to get it all today. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of you if you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. You're born again. But there's a difference between Him being in you and Him being on you. A huge difference. And that difference is so obvious in the scripture, I don't know how we miss it. Jesus, raised from the dead, John chapter 21, he meets with his disciples, and he breathes on them, right? And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then after that, Acts 1-8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Peter, if he was a modern Christian, would have argued with them. what do you mean the Holy Spirit come on me? I already got the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. I don't need any more Holy Spirit. I'm born again. But they weren't modern Christians. <laughs> they just believed what Jesus said, that he is in you, but you haven't received the full blessing yet. I don't, I don't know how that got out of our signs out there because I don't do the signs. But if you were here Tuesday night, <laughs> uh, I told this story about my great-great-grandma picker. And I won't tell the whole story again, you can listen to Tuesday night, but she had this saying, you're good as far as you go, but you don't go far enough. That's what she told my whole Baptist family. She was kind of costly. You're good as far as you go, but you don't go far enough. There's this double blessing of the Holy Spirit, this double anointing. There's to be born again through the baptism of repentance, that I repent for my sin and I come to Jesus and I'm baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is really the baptism of John. What is the baptism of Jesus? John made it very clear. He said, I baptize you with water, but here comes the one, the Lamb of God, who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So there's the baptism of Jesus, and there's the baptism of John. There's the receiving of the Holy Spirit to be born. And these things don't have to be separated by years and years and years. I mean, I know stories where this all comes at once. In fact, we read a story in the book of Acts at the house of Cornelius. Do you remember that? And they got baptized in the Holy Spirit before they even got baptized in water. You know, we don't have to have all these tight rules and regulations about it. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that we receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit that the anointing of the Holy Spirit come upon us. And we have this very clear picture in the book of Acts, and we can argue with it all we want, but it's right there, and it comes up again in chapter 19, that when that happens, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there are nine of them, they are in first Corinthians, you can read about them, we'll talk about them later, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit become manifest in a person's life. And that first gift is they begin to speak with other tongues. And I will give you scriptural reason for why that's so important when we get to it. But suffice it for now to say that James tells you that your tongue is the worst member of your entire body. It's the most unruly thing in your body and you cannot control it. So wouldn't it make sense for the Holy Spirit to come upon our tongues first and change the way we speak? But it's in the book of Acts over and over again. And I'm telling you, I can tell you from the Bible, I can tell you from experience, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are what make the difference in our ministry. When he empowers our flesh, and we begin to evangelize, not with our intellects, but with his power. So Priscilla and Aquila, it says, they heard him speaking in the synagogue. Now try to put yourself back in that place. You're Priscilla and Aquila. What is your trade? What is your profession? You are tent makers. You are not learned university scholars. And you go to the synagogue one day, you don't even know who Apollos is. And this guy named Apollos gets up and begins to preach Jesus from the Old Testament Scripture. And he uses Scripture in a way that none of the rabbis use Scripture. This is the best preacher you've ever heard. And you're nothing but a tent maker. But you... Get up and chase him down when he walks out the synagogue door and you tell him, you're good as far as you go, Apollos, you're not going far enough. And we want to tell you things that you don't know yet. Why did they do that? Because Priscilla and Aquila have learned from their time with Paul and Corinth the difference that the Holy Spirit makes in a person's life. And it's not enough just to have the power of your intellect. I'm not talking bad about intellect. I like intellect. But God needs to anoint that intellect. He needs to anoint our minds and he needs to anoint our talent and our flesh. So they explain this to him. The Bible says that they explain to him. In the Greek, it means they literally lay it out before him. They just lay it all out before him. They use the exact same scripture that Apollos knows so well. They don't just talk about Holy Ghost stuff. They open the Bible and they lay it out before him from the Bible and explain to him from the scripture what needs to be in his life. Now, everything I'm saying to you, it doesn't become exceedingly clear until you read through chapter 19, verse seven, but we'll get to that next week. So what scripture would they have read to him? Well, there are a lot of possible scriptures, but i want to give you two of them because they're already in the New Testament. You could open the Old Testament, and like Peter said in Acts chapter two, Verse 16, I'm not gonna open because we've read it over and over again. And you know it, Acts chapter two, verse 16. Peter, when he stood up to preach, what did the people say? They heard them speaking with other tongues. They heard 120, and remember that number, it's important. They heard 120 of them speaking with other tongues. Men, women, children, they're all speaking with other tongues. and But they hear it in their own native language. And there are hundreds of different native languages there. This is a miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's power evangelism. But some of the people who didn't believe, what did they say about it? They said they're just drunk. And Peter gets up and makes a really logical statement. He says, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk like you think. We're drunk in a different way. The Holy Spirit has come upon us. And he immediately quotes the scripture. He says in verse 16, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. He doesn't base this on his experience. He doesn't base this on a story from his great, great grandma. He doesn't base this on anything but scripture. This is what Joel said. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all flesh. And I imagine that Priscilla and Aquila were telling him, this very scripture. When we get over to chapter 19, um, we'll have this understanding that Apollos didn't even know that the Holy Spirit had been poured out. He knew that Jesus had been raised from the dead because that's what he gave to his disciples in Ephesus. He knew that Jesus had been, by the way, let me just throw this in here. That also shows (laughs) us that in one big city like Ephesus, there were a lot of different churches. See, Apollos is a Baptist. Okay, And I can say that because I was born and raised in the Son of Baptist Convention. Apollos is a Baptist. and he's really good as far as he goes, it doesn't go far enough. And Priscilla and Aquila, they began to acquaint him with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He did not know that the Holy Spirit had been poured out in Acts chapter 2. He knew about Jesus dying and being raised from the dead. And he was a believer, but he did not know about the Holy Spirit being poured out upon all flesh yet. So they would have told him that. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in fact, let's just open that up for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, also quotes from the Old Testament. In verse 21, it says, in the law it is written, 1 Corinthians 14, 21. Let's just read verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature, grow up. In the law, it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me. That's in Isaiah. And Paul takes what's in Isaiah and says, this is prophetically speaking about the gift of the Spirit, speaking in other tongues, interpreting tongues, and prophesying. And so he quotes that scripture. They perhaps quoted that scripture to Apollos on that day. So then tongues, I actually think they did, because they are disciples of Paul. They have learned from Paul. And this is Paul's theological thinking about this. So then tongues are for a sign, look at verse 22. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. So this is a, this is a teaching of Paul's that's based on the Old Testament scripture. I remember when I was, was in the Baptist church and probably I still am on the rolls, I guess. I never quit. But when I was Baptist and I remember in my Baptist high school I went to and I remember my Baptist college I went to and I remember this scripture being used to show that all those Pentecostal type, charismatic type people, they're wrong because you should never pray in tongues. Well, first of all, those told praying in tongues was of the devil because that had to end after the first century based on some really obscure, weird things that were completely wrongly interpreted. But then they'd say, if you are praying in tongues, that's wrong, because Paul very clearly says here that you shouldn't pray in tongues. And that if people hear you doing that, they'll say you're mad. They'll say you're crazy. But that's just a completely wrong interpretation of this. And taking it completely out of context, because when you read chapter 14, Paul says, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But when I am at church, I'd rather be speaking to you in English. Because you of course it wasn't English for them, them, but it is for me right now. Because that's what you understand. Okay? If I was in Russia, I'd be speaking in Russia. Вы что понимаете? Ты понимаешь? (laughs) Privately. And see, that doesn't bring any blessing to you at all. Because you can't understand what I'm saying. Unless I were to interpret that. And that's what Paul is saying here. Okay? And that may be tongues of men, like I just spoke in, or it may be tongues of angels. Okay? And we'll teach on all that later and talk about that. But but we're wrongly understanding this. What he says, when he says that they are a sign. We think immediately, oh, that means a sign uh, for something good. It doesn't mean that. It means a sign of condemnation. Look in Isaiah at that scripture. That's what he's talking about. Just read what it says here. It says he will be convicted by all. He will fall on his his knees. The secrets of his heart are revealed. He will worship God. He He will repent. It will bring conviction and repentance to him when you prophesy into a person's life. So let's just take that little piece. By saying that tongues are not for today, or I just don't need that, tongues are great for the pastor or somebody else, but I don't need that, you're also saying I don't need to prophesy. But this very clearly tells us about power evangelism, that if you're just preaching out of your intellect, nobody's secrets of their heart are going to be revealed. You know, I often hear from people, and I'm not... Some great pastor that I would hear this. This should be true in all of our lives. This is a Christian life. I hear from people, how did you know what I was going through when you preached that? I said, I didn't know what, did what you were going through. Well, when you said, and then sometimes I'll say, I don't even remember saying that. But it's just the Holy Spirit convicting somebody's heart, revealing the secrets of their heart. That's power evangelism. And it makes a change in people's lives when you minister to them, not on the level of just say the sinner's prayer and giving them these facts. But you really minister in God's love into their life. And you speak into their life by prophecy. Some of you prophesying you don't even know you're prophesying. Because we've made prophecy into this thing where, oh, that can just happen at Bethel, or that can happen somewhere where one of these famous prophets gets up and says something about. I don't know, something about the future or something that's going to happen. That's not what the gift of prophecy is. It's very simply the ministry of God's word into people's lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is activated by tongues and by interpretation of tongues. And like I I can teach on that, I will. So if this tongues is a sign that brings condemnation or that brings conviction, Then we see that the unbeliever, when he hears you praying in other tongues, hears you speaking with other tongues, he'll come in and say, You're just crazy. Well, isn't that what happened in Acts chapter 2? The believing Jews heard the word of God in their own language, right? The unbelieving Jews rejected the word of God and said, They're just a bunch of alcoholics, they're nuts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, whatever gift it may be of those nine, has the power to reveal a person's heart and brings this conviction that causes a person to choose which side they're on, to be the unbeliever or to be the believer. When we minister with our intellect, then we're having debates and people get to keep thinking about it. They get to keep going on for years after year after year until they finally die and fall into hell. We never really brought the gospel to them. We just debated with them. Or just figured, I'll just live my little life of love and they'll just see Jesus in me. And th- that's true also. But at some point, the gospel has to be preached. Words have to be spoken. And they need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, going back over to Acts chapter 18 and Paul when we read there in 1 Corinthians, I don't know if you noticed this, but it talks about the unbeliever or the ungifted. Did you see that? The unbeliever or the ungifted comes into your assembly. And it talked about the believer and the gifted. So there are people who are unbelievers and there are people who are ungifted. Apollos is not an unbeliever, he is a believer, he's a real Christian. If he would have dropped dead before he met Priscilla and Aquila, I know 100% he's going to heaven. He really believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is in his heart and in his life. But he is ungifted. He has not received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit yet. He was saved, baptized, following Jesus, using all his learning and natural talents for the Lord, but it was not yet plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a big difference between something that is in perfectly good working condition, but it's not plugged in, and something that is plugged in, isn't there? Well, i me just tell you a little story about air conditioners. So I have not had air conditioning in the PT Cruiser for a couple of years. And there was nowhere conditioned in Old Roy, that's why I call that pickup truck because it came from Roy. I didn't know any of the history of those trucks. And they're pondering and pondering on it, and collecting information, thinking, none of it made any sense. And so, because none of it made any sense, I just immediately come to the conclusion it's gonna cost a thousand bucks, and I'm just not gonna do it. So I'm just sweating and sweating and sweating, driving down the road, it's getting really hot. And then a couple of nights ago, but true story, Friday night, I had a dream. And I knew it was from the Lord, and it wasn't about air conditioning. It was actually about the United States and had applications for our church. And I'm not going to tell you about the dream right now. Maybe I never will. It doesn't matter. But what does matter is based on this dream, when I, I don't know, not based on, it, I didn't even think about it. I just woke up and boom, I understood what I needed to do, or what I thought I needed to do. So go outside to Old Roy, pop the hood because all of a sudden I understood that when I'm putting in the freon, the clutch is engaging off and on, and the, the, so the, the, uh, the compressor's not turning enough, and it's not getting enough freon in there, so it's never getting charged up. So I jump the relay, jump the compressor, and I take a little paper clip, and go get a paper clip, because a guy named Mitch told me that. So I'm just, I, just, I just knew I needed to trust Mitch. I took that paper clip, I right? pulled out the relay, stuck it in there, and there goes the compressor. It's going on. So I charge it up, it's all charged up. It's blowing, freezing cold air. i think, like, oh, blowing cold air. So I take out the paper clip, put the relay back in. Doesn't work. And I had to leave for a few hours. So I left for a few hours, and thinking on that, that relay's bad, that relay's bad. I'm just telling you, I just know in my heart, that relay's not bad, the relay's good. So I come back, and I don't know how. This is the Holy Spirit. I understood. Something here so simple that that you're missing is wrong. And I open the hood again, and I look, and I think, where's where's the high-pressure switch? So I look online. It's on the back of the compressor. I look on the back of the compressor, and guess what? It's not plugged in. So I plug it in, and there goes old Roy. He's just they're clogged up there for two days. And it's wonderful. But you know, sometimes we're, you know, that's what's wrong with Apollos. And that's what's wrong right now in our lives, in our church. And I'm going to focus on this next week, because a lot of people say, no, no, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But it, that's not enough. We'll, we'll see this in the Scripture. It's a daily infilling of the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe you got charged up like my razor, but that lasts for five or six days. You've got to plug it in again. You've got to charge it up again. You have to stay charged up because we're missing, I'm telling you this, we are missing something so simple that makes all the difference. And we can hobble along without the air conditioning, and sweat all we want. or we use my friend John Montero's homemade air condition, where you just spray yourself with a spray bottle while I'm driving down the road and do all that we want. Or we can plug into the Holy Spirit and understand evangelism and ministry the way that, 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 that Jesus didn't just suggest that we do this, but commanded us to do this. Commanded us to receive power. Do you know that I estimate based on scripture, that only 25%, one out of four people that are Christians today will ever really know the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And that means that only 25% of Christians today will have the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit to make it through the night like the five wise virgins. Maybe it'll be more since there were five wise and five foolish. Maybe it'll be 50 but it's just a remnant, and I know that because based on scripture, the sower goes out to sow the word, and as he sows the word, some of it falls on thorny ground, some of it falls on hard ground, some of it falls over on the wayside, and only 25% of it lands, there's four divisions, and one fourth of it lands on the good ground and produces the fruit. And then from this very story, Paul says, later in the book of Galatians, that Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to 500 disciples. 500! And what's he saying to those 500 disciples? He's telling all of them, get to Jerusalem, get to Jerusalem, and wait in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that I've been talking to you about for three years. But how many actually are there? 120 out of 500. Does that mean the rest of them just missed out? No, maybe they came along later, like Apollos. I don't really know what happened to all, but I know this: I'd rather choose to be amongst the hundred and twenty than amongst the other three fourths of them that are just good as far as we go, but not going far enough. So go back over to Acts chapter eighteen, verse twenty-seven. It says, and when he wanted to go across to Achaia, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, that's, uh, he's gonna to go to Corinth, okay? We'll understand that later in the story. When he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren, remember that's on the other side of, of the water in Greece. The brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome them. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So there is the limited success of intellectual evangelism. And then there is the overwhelming success of Holy Spirit-empowered evangelism. Apollos has a very prosperous ministry in Corinth. And notice that he's in Ephesus and he wants to go to Corinth. Why does he want to go to Corinth? He wants to go to Corinth because the Holy Spirit is moving in Corinth. Now, Corinth is a church with tons of problems. But one thing they don't lack in are the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians. There's a lot of problems there. Okay? But there's a lot of Holy Spirit ministry there in that church. And he wants to go over to Corinth. Where did Aquila and Priscilla come from? Well, originally from Rome, but they had come from Corinth. And so they're telling him, after he receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or the baptism of Jesus, after he receives the power of the Holy Spirit on his life, and this becomes clear in chapter 19, he wants to go over to Corinth. I need to be in a church where the gifts of the Spirit are in operation. I need to be in that place. And so they write letters to the church there. I don't think, in fact, I know they would have never written those letters if Apollos had rejected what they said. I, I don't know if you really feel in this day again. Priscilla and Aquila; these these are people with you know an elementary education or whatever they would have had. These are skilled laborers. Okay, these are not people of not, they're not dumb, and they become people through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of great intellect. In fact, Priscilla perhaps wrote the book of Hebrews. These these are great people, but they don't have the education level that Apollos has. But Apollos listens to them because they have the power of the Holy Spirit. They know the Holy Spirit. And Apollos knows the scripture. And so when he hears the Holy Spirit, the Spirit and the word, they agree. And he receives what they say to him. He says, I want to go to Corinth. And so they send him to Corinth. They write letters due ahead of him so that the people will know who he is. It's also just there's lots of little tidbits in here, by the way, <laughs> but that's very important that the church receive him. That he has some recommendation. He doesn't just show up and say, "I'm the great Apollos," and they've never heard of him. So they send letters ahead of him. They go there, and he goes into Corinth. And what does it say about? And I'm going to end here at this part. What does it say about? about Apollos. It says, right here, that he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. So this phrase, through grace, the word grace in Greek is charis. It's where we get the word charismatic. And the word grace, charis, is always used when we're talking about the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's why charismatic churches started being called charismatic. It's the grace gifts. They're not your talents. They're not your skills. They're not the things you studied in school, but they are poured out by God and they empower your talents, your skills, and the things that you studied in school. And they change our evangelism from intellectual evangelism to power evangelism. And so this overwhelming help of grace, it says he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. What was he doing? He was powerfully refuting the Jews in public. What was he doing before Priscilla and Aquila? He was refuting the Jews in public. But now he's powerfully refuting the Jews in public. You see the difference? Before he's doing it, he's still using his intellect. God doesn't want you to throw your education away or throw your talents away. In fact, we've got so many latent talents in this church. We've got a lot of talent in this church. God wants to use those talents. We've got a lot of young people with desires and talents. God wants to develop those things. But he wants to empower them by the Holy Spirit. He wants them to be plugged into the presence and the power of God through the Holy Spirit. So this through grace here, if you look at that sentence, you might think that it refers to how the Corinthians believed. Uh, Notice because it says, help those who had believed through grace. In other words, they believed through grace. But grammatically, that's not even possible in the Greek. It doesn't mean that. It means he helped them through grace. He helped the Christian church Through grace. The gifts of the Spirit operating in him and the knowledge of the Word of God was a great help to the church there. It means literally that he greatly contributed to the church, to the believers, with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The word powerfully in the Greek is a different word for powerfully and it actually means vigorously. It's not even the normal word for power, it means energetically. Vigorously or energetically. Now, Apollos is plugged into the energy source. Now, Apollos is plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit. Is it possible to have the power of the Holy Spirit, but not be walking according to the Word of God? Yes, it's possible. We read that in Corinth, in the Corinthians letters. They've got huge problems in that church. I already told you about it. They're coming to the communion service and getting drunk at at, at church. They're like, literally, knee-walking drunk at church. And Paul's like, I can't believe it. They've got some guy in the church that's sleeping with his father's wife. And everybody in the church is like, oh yeah, you know, that's liberty in Jesus. It's okay. And and Paul's furious about it. I mean, they've got huge problems in the church. And a lot of people look at that Corinthian church and say, well, that's why you don't need the move of the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you, that's not what the book of Acts teaches us. It teaches that God wants you to have both. You can be walking as a disciple of Jesus walking with a good moral character, serving the Lord, being a person of truth and honesty, and have the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we see with Apollos. That's what we see with Priscilla. That's what we see with Paul. That's what we see here in these stories in the book of Acts. And again, this is not the history of the ancient church only. It is the history of our church. And then it says in verse 28 also, that he was powerfully doing this and he was demonstrating by the scriptures. Do you see the difference? Before, he was using the scripture. Now he's demonstrating by the scriptures. That word demonstrating is really important. 1 Corinthians 2.4, Paul said, my message and my preaching were not, listen to what he said, 1 Corinthians 2.4, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. In demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That's the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating through the ministry of Paul. A man of great wisdom, a man of great intellect, That's never been equal anywhere in the Bible except perhaps by Apollos or anywhere in church history. And yet he says, I did not preach with my intellect. I preached with the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit because I don't want your faith to rest on my arguments. I want your faith to rest on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And how are you going to meet Jesus if I tell you about him? but I never introduce you to him. And the presence, the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to say it's what we're missing. Because he's here. But there's so much more. So very, very much more. Let's stand together. Why don't I just pray for our church this morning? Lord, this is the time. I was talking to my brother before church, and he was saying these very words, and it's true. And it's true. We are being tested, we are going through trials. It's already happening. And it's not going to get better until after it gets worse. It's going to continue until the very coming. the kingdom of god until your coming jesus lord we have to be prepared we have to be plugged into the holy spirit we have to be like those two witnesses in the book of revelation chapter 11 because we are those two witnesses who have fire coming out of their mouths and nobody can withstand them Where's the fire in our mouths? Where's the fire on our tongues? Father, I pray that you would forgive us for, as Isaiah said, being people of unclean words that live in a nation of unclean words. Take the coal from the altar and anoint our tongues Put the fire in our mouths, Lord. Pour out your Holy Spirit on our flesh, on all flesh, on our children, on our youth. Just let it begin with them, Lord. Father, I just pray that the manifestation, the power of the Holy Spirit would be evident in this place. As it says in the vision of Garrington Vineyard Fellowship written, Two pastors ago, before I ever came here, that what we have in the windows for people to see would be what we actually keep in stock on the inside. That people would not come to this church let down and disappointed because of what they heard, but when they got here, they never saw it and they couldn't find it. Like so many of us shopping today, the shelves are empty, we can't find things that we always wanted, Prices are way too high. Lord, I just pray that we would evangelize this world beginning in this hour of Jerusalem but going into the very ends of the earth with power and manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we would be overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. Let us not be uh, on the outside looking in Let it be like Apollos will listen to what you're saying and just receive the command of the Lord to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and that we would continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, if we have to sit and wait Whereas they used to say, just tarry. And we just hang out here until you do it, Lord. He says, pour out your spirit on our flesh, Lord. And they call these plans for the summer, and they're all great. But they're, they're nothing without the Holy Spirit. Nothing. Nothing we could do. Whatever bring unity, whatever get people saved, as we say. We've already saved them. We just need to tell them. We just need your Holy Spirit, Lord. We need your Spirit in our families, our homes, mm-hmm. in our lives. We need to stop saying that we've got enough. When our batteries are running down, we need your Holy Spirit. Some, someone's sitting there just thinking, I'm just burned out, burned out, burned out. There's nothing left for me. That's, stop being a child in your thinking, Paul says. Grow up. Just stand up and plug yourself in. You won't be burned out anymore. We need you, Holy Spirit. I just pray for that this morning. I just pray that you'd put a hunger in our hearts. We would hunger and thirst after you, Holy Spirit. Not to live the super Christian life, but to live the normal Christian life that we read about the Thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at youringtonvignonfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF podcast.